Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Welcome Transformation Talk Radio listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart and I am the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, with my illustrious co-host, Dr. Pat. How you doing, Doc? I am so excited for this show. Having gone to school in California, I'm very excited for our guest today and talking about what happens when you do things in a way that help other people in the recovery arena see what happens when you do things the right way right exactly that, that, that's what nelson done talk about here today so there's what happens when you do things the right way in recovery and then what happens when you don't <laughs> you're absolutely right okay i mean it's real simple okay and you and i dr pat we're from the old school okay we're we old are. school we recovery yeah. guys okay yeah, and yeah. there are some new gals and there's some new information coming out that people think is the new way and the better way i mean because you know many people think a 1939 textbook is no longer valid okay in the recovery world and that's why this topic just makes me crazy this one is going to really bring out the pushy broad i'm telling you you're going to see the pushy broad in a whole new way today but let me tell you first of all the name of this show is called california sober and and i'm going to tell you what that means and our expert today is also going to talk about it and and by the way my expert today is a friend of mine for 18 years and and someone that brought this terminology to me because for the life of me i didn't know anything about this and when he told me all about it, I got a little crazy because I just couldn't <laughs> handle it. Okay. So we're going to talk about California sober and if it, what it is and the pros and cons. And we're going to talk about it with a clinical expert by the name of Nelson Hadler. Let me tell you a little bit about Nelson. First of all, he has been working in the addiction field and the clinical mental health field for over 30 years. He's a licensed clinical social worker. He's a certified alcohol and drug counselor, and he specializes in addiction with co-occurring mental disorders. And the best, the heart of what he does and what he really loves, his passion is to work with difficult adolescents and their families. And he also does supervision for clinicians that are going into the licensed clinical social work field and need further certification. So Transformation Talk Radio, Dr. Pat and I are very glad to welcome our professional today, Nelson Hadler. Nelson, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank You're welcome. You. Thanks for having me. So you brought this terminology to me, and I know, right? You said it to me. You said to me, California sober, right? And do you remember the first thing I said to you when you said, let's talk about California sober? Remember What's what I that? said? What is that? 
What do, you, what do you mean? What do you mean, California sober? I live in New Jersey. Is there a New Jersey sober? Is there a Bronx sober? Right, Pat? You live in Seattle. Is there a Seattle sober? Oh, I yeah. mean, really? <laughs> okay. So, 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 let's talk a little bit about what that is because Nelson, you brought some things to my attention, and I want you to speak on this. Okay. First of all, the term was coined by a young woman by the name of Michelle Luke. Okay, and Michelle stands out in. In, in the world uh, of music and drugs because she's a music and drug journalist. And I'm describing her the way she describes herself, okay? A music and drug journalist who published a, stone, a stoner cult classic called Weed, Everything You Want to Know But Are Always Too Stoned to Ask. Can you believe that? I that can. made me crazy. I actually can. That made can. me crazy. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> it just made me crazy. Okay, but she wrote an article in Vice, on Vice.com, about streamlining her substance use to improve her health. And she coined the term California sober because it means to quit most substances, but to continue using others like marijuana and psychedelics, but in moderation. Okay, so she comes out with one particular statement here. First of all, Nelson, how did that term California sober come across your desk and and with the patients that you deal with? How did that how did that come to you? Actually, a year or two ago um, with um, what's her name? Demi Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. I walked into um, an outpatient facility I work in and they were like, today we're going to watch this documentary. And it was. To, to me, and one of the reasons I brought it up as a topic for the show is it's very provocative, especially I'm pretty old school. You know, um, I've learned to keep up clinically. I've learned that being too much um, blinders on and, 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 and AAA, sometimes it isn't for everybody. Sometimes it just won't work. Most of the times it will. Um, so, but, but I'm pretty old school. So I just thought it was pretty controversial because I think we're going to talk a lot about a lot of the the, the thoughts it provokes. It's a provocative statement. <laughs> you know? So I thought that'd be a good thing for the show. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. So Pat, when we just talked about it now, California Sober, what kind of evocative, provocative feelings does it stir up in you? Well, I think for me, what happens is I, I'm like Nelson, you know, even though uh, there is an old school sense to me, uh, there's even an older school sense when it comes to NA for me. And and this and I've always been a little bit like controversial because I'm one of these people just saying that when you talk about substance abuse or however you want to call it now, addiction is all over the map, but there are so many people addicted to so many things. But for, for practical purposes, let's stay with narcotics and alcohol for the moment. It's not a one size fits all, no matter how you cut it. And both programs or both approaches to it, they have their thoughts. The people in the alcohol business, they're very quick to say, you know, you can't be taking drugs and call yourself sober even though you haven't had a drink in 40 years. So they'll say that, right, very quickly. But then they'll also say, and by the way, you can't talk about drugs in our meetings. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, what? 
But I think we have to look at an evolution. And, you know, I don't care who you read about. Bill W. will tell you, and he always said this, that our approach has to continue to change. What did we just see? Online. Hello. It was like sacrilegious. But this particular approach, I'm in the question zone about it. I'm, I'm not in the judgment zone about it. Because growing up in the 60s, there is a take on what that looked like. And I will tell you, three of my favorite musicians overdosed. And that gave me a different perspective on it. But I think we have to look at what, it, what anything is and what's working and what's not. You know, I shared with you before the break. Somebody pops out of a recovery center, supposedly has monitors, nobody's monitoring. Two days later, starts to use again. Two weeks later, a 911 call. Another four days later, injury. And so what do you do? So I'm here to learn and have a conversation with both of you because we are missing something. We definitely are missing something. And it's I want like to- like a hot dog without mustard. <laughs> and I want to talk just a little bit about, because Michelle goes on to say three pretty important things and three pretty, three uh, widely uh, discussed topics that we need to talk about. Nelson, I want your opinion on. Uh, Michelle makes this statement. She says she thinks it's really important to destigmatize substance use and drug use. And any struggles that people may have with dependence, she thinks it's really important to think about sobriety in particular as more of a spectrum than a binary okay more of something a wide range than a one-size-fits-all like pat says how are you finding that nelson and how does that apply to how you you work with your clients i think the stigma plays a big role i mean i used to run a drunk driving school in new jersey you know when you get not how to drive drunk but when you get a dui (laughs) and they were all men out of 30 people we would have zero to two women and I really was curious, this was a long time ago, it was very new in the field, and I did some research, and it, it's because cops don't arrest women, because it's more of a stigma for a woman to be drunk and driving. So stigma harms people. But my answer is, I think the biggest piece, I think the more powerful piece for the person that is addicted or dependent on a substance is, you know, you have to not use any drugs or stuff forever. That's what freaks people out. You know, I mean, you know, hey, if you could, I mean, maybe it gets back to the title. If you can call me sober and I can smoke a joint every night, yeah, you know, so I mean, I think that's what freaks people out. And oftentimes, you know, we get folks in our private practice that, hey, we know they're genetically predisposed alcoholics. I can just, I mean, a lot of times you can't tell sometimes, you know you diagnose them by looking at them and asking two questions and they're not ready. So you have to start where they're at and be like, all right, let's see how drinking on Fridays work for you or smoking a joint, you know, and you know, they're going to crash and burn. So, you know, I, I think we need to, we need to work with that resistance, but, you know, I think the stigma is a little overrated as far as I think the big thing is it really freaks people out not to ever use a chemical. And that's whether they're old school label, you know, and under the label of chemically dependent, or if they're, I'm going to introduce 
use another term, abusing because they're self-medicating something, and life would be hell if they couldn't self-medicate. Mm-hmm. Right, I understand. Well, you've said a lot of things there, but um, at this point, there's something else Michelle says, which is exactly what you had talked about, the fact that she doesn't want people to consider the struggle with substance abuse to be, I'll never be able to use another drug again, another substance again. But Pat, you and I know that the basis of 12-step recovery is not about never being able to use again. It's about one day at a time. So for me, that directly conflicts with, I can't turn around and say, I can't say I'll never be able to pick up another drug again. I can't say that today. I can say I have 35 years clean and sober, but I'm able to not pick up a drug one day at a time. So so how does that work for you? How do you feel about that? I'll tell you how I feel about it. I I am a hardliner, and I will admit that. Why? Mom commits suicide, drugs, and alcohol. Sister dies on a hospital floor. Stepmom, her heart explodes. Stepsister, heroin overdose. Stepsister, cancer in her throat. So I'm going to take a hard line about it because here's the bottom line for me. This is a free world, and this is free will. If you want to take that drink and put that drink up to your mouth, let's just be clear about what will happen next. Let's just be clear about the life you think you have, what you've accomplished. Let's just be clear about a pathway you may go on. And I'm not talking about people that don't even fit in the addiction category, right? I'm, I'm not talking about grandma who had to have her little Zambuca, right, before she went to bed. Because grandma didn't wake up at six in the morning and have to have Zambuca at six in the morning. Now, my uncle did, but my grandma didn't. I hear you. And I understand. It's an illusion. And and maybe because today I am very close to someone that we almost lost. I'm very close. I mean, I'm like days away from an incident. I have no problem telling this person, you can never have another drink or you can never have any, you cannot put that crap in crack in your body ever again. I have no problem telling her that. Yes. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. Because what Mm -hmm. are we saying? What are we saying to people who's, and by the way, can we have a moment where we talk about the chemistry of the brain here? For somebody that's like that person I'm talking about, I don't know about what you do, what either one of you, what your history is, but can we talk about what happens chemically to the brain and the synopsis and all of all of the connections that get fired up in the brain for somebody like my friend who's X amount of days in treatment, in detox, in recovery comes out and has one drink. No, you cannot have one drink. You go get, but your brain cannot allow you to say I'm having one drink because you end up where you were when you stopped. And that is the science that we know about chemical dependency right now. I don't know how it is for drugs. I do know how it is for opiate type drugs. I don't know how it is because the the studies are still out about marijuana and CBD. 
but what are we saying to people? Oh, no, you don't have to face the reality of your life, that if you actually go out and have that drink, that please don't face that reality, because if you do, your life is going to be a you know what show. I just lost too many women to not be realistic about the consequences of what happens. But I'm open to hearing what would be the benefit of taking that out of the conversation. What does that do for people? Well, Nelson, let's let's speak to that a little I'm bit. I'm sorry, I went off of, a little no, bit. No, that's okay. Listen, it's a very <laughs> difficult thing because, it's not because we come we come from different places. We all come from different places. You and I have a different sober story, a sober story into sobriety, but we're still very old fashioned in our approach. You and I both know that picking up a drink or a drug for us is completely non-existent. It's completely non-existent. I cannot think about it because I know what it will lead to. But people struggling from the beginning, thinking that the rest of their life is going to be devoid of everything is not a That's way to be issue. sober today. That's well, the issue. I'm a get naked, stand in the middle of traffic kind of alcoholic. So let's just be... <laughs> All right, don't hold that image, everybody. Let's not hold that image, right? Well, so know, it... What would my life be like? If, right. Like, right. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Right. No, I hear you. But Nelson, <laughs> the people that are coming to you and the people that you're talking about, the, the young adolescents that you're working with, they all seem to be saying the same thing, right? I can't see myself not picking up a drink or a drug for the rest of my life. Do they turn around and, and give you that? And how do you counsel them? Yeah. What yeah. kind of words do you use to help them get over those feelings? Yeah. So... Uh, treatment center I had in New Jersey, I had two adolescent programs. I had traditional IOP. We assessed you. We believed you were addicted to drugs. You needed to go to AA or you're going to die. I mean, that was like, you know, canned like that. Then I had, I would get a lot of kids mandated by schools and courts that, you know, 15 year old Sally maybe had a bouncing baby bipolar disorder, smoking pot three times a week. Parents caught her. And I was like, I can't put this little girl in my IOP with these 18-year-old heroin addicts. So I designed this early intervention program. And I taught them about the difference between abuse and chemical dependency. I taught them tons about the risk of chemical dependency. I said, but hey, we believe that you could control your use because you're not in that other program. So right. prove me right and don't get high for 12 weeks. Don't go through great lengths to adulterate your urine and play games you know and get high because then if it's that important to you you're going to wind up in that other program with those addicts and we're going to tell you you can never get high again and they'd say well you know i'd say hey i do not suggest that you ever get high again but if you're not an addict then you do then you're able to put it in control and hey for a lot of those kids they were just lying we caught them we put them in iop they were what we used to call addicts and they needed that. But for a lot of these kids, they'd get it done or they'd call me up later and they'd be like, Nelson, I'm not going to tell you, I'm never going to have a beer or smoke a joint, but I really learned something. I don't, I don't like, and I don't have to smoke pot seven times a day, you know? Um, and, you know, I even experimented with other stuff I didn't tell you. So, I mean, I think that makes a difference when you can make yeah. a conscious decision. Yeah. But you have to, again, start where they're at. Some people, you know, if you hit them 
yes, I understand the difference between you can't use for the rest of your life and one day at a time, I can't use for today. But when you the, when it's being shoved down your throat, that's what they hear yeah. and they freak out. Yeah, I Sometimes agree with you. Have to walk with them. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Yeah. And I said it before and I'll say it again. This is not a one size this is not a one size fits all. And very clearly take a look at the three of us. How shoving down your throat do you think the three of us seem to be? Right? Not much, not really. Yeah. But you have to find what works for the person you're working with. And I think Nelson, that's what you're talking about. Because for so long it was this is the formula, this is the template, these are the rules. Right. We are in a different world. We're in a mar marijuana is almost federally legal, legal, almost. Uh, we're, I'm in a state that took the lid off of this thing a decade or more ago. Right. And we're also looking at times where, and I'm going to just talk about drugs for a minute. We're also looking at a day and age where there is a variety of things out there and most people that use don't really know what they're taking. And so I don't think you can do that because we're people, you know, they're labels. Yeah. You're this, you know, you're, you're a user. You're a, no, you're a person. Exactly. What does that person need? Right. My friend needed a hotel room for four days. Is that enabling? Well, I don't give up what you want to call it. <laughs> I'm not sleeping at night knowing my friend has no place to stay. I don't care how much they're using or drinking. So that's really why we have to develop, why we have to grow, why we have to do things different or differently, and why you can't take the online genie out of the bag now. Exactly it's right. Out. Yes, exactly right. And here we're sitting in the same place that you said, which is why I'm very glad Nelson brought this to the table, because California sober, especially with every single state in the union now becoming more and more legal marijuana, especially what's happening here in my current state of New Jersey, it's a very, very big question. And this is around. And look, a woman like Demi Lovato, who published a song called California Sober in 2021, decided that's the way she wanted to go. Okay. Initially, that's the way she wanted to go. And then she went back into treatment. And then a friend of hers OD'd and died. That's it. And then she realized, oh my God, yeah. maybe California sober isn't the way to go for me. Yeah. Maybe yeah. sober, sober is the way to go. Yeah. And that's how she coined it. And the thing is this addiction is subjective. And Nelson is right. There are different categories of substance misuse. There always was. And that's why the DS. M5 was written and all of these particular terms as to what the next treatment levels are. That's why there are different levels of treatment. Like you said, social or recreational use, abuse, or addiction. There are categories for this. And Nelson is right. You meet somebody where they are at. I do the same thing as a recovery coach. You meet that, that person where they are at. And if they don't believe they have a problem with a substance, I say the same thing that Nelson says. I say, if you don't believe you have a problem, do me a favor and be abstinence for a while and see how much you're thinking about that drug. Yep. <laughs> how much is that substance taking up space in your brain? Yeah. Okay.
How much is that happening? So, and, and now you talked about some very, very important things, which we're going to get to, because I know we're going to break a little bit, because we're going to talk about the difference between California sober and harm reduction and substitution and um, the brain neuropsychology, because um, there are so many ways to approach addiction now and, and abuse. And um, it really does help young people, especially to, to be able to talk about it from a whole new perspective perspective. Yeah. And, and right. And we'll talk about what works and what doesn't. I mean, you know, part of this is some of the new approaches that come out. I, I have had a couple people walk out the doors and say, oh my God, they're so positive. I can't go to another meeting again. And like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, oh, the, the, the meetings, they're not positive at the meetings. I'm like, okay, we're strength and truth and Oh, but I just came from so positive. I own a positive talk radio network. But when it comes to addiction, there's a level of truth. When we come back, can we talk about truth? Absolutely. We absolutely can. All right. All right. Let's take a short break, Mr. Benny, if we could. And then we need just want to make sure people know how to get a hold of Nelson, know how to get a hold of you, Ellen. I mean, I don't know. What do you all think about this? I mean, I, right now in the world we live in, almost everybody walking around knows someone, especially with the numbers coming in on the pandemic. There's something you've seen and observed. Anybody have any thoughts about this? 1-800-930-2819. When we come back, Ellen Nelson going to take us on a journey. We'll be right back. Are you passionate about impacting social change or working towards anti-racism as a society? Are you willing to deconstruct your innermost thoughts, ideas, and beliefs about racism? Then Inflection Point Podcast, Cultivating Change from the Inside Out is the show for you. Join Anita Russell, Mavis Bauman, and Gail Hunter in open, honest, and deliberate conversations every first and third Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, only on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Does your life often feel like an emotional tsunami where rogue waves crash down on you, leaving you feeling hopeless and wondering if it will ever end? Do you wish to awaken the dormant strength inside of you? Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Start today by scheduling a complimentary consultation with Martinet. Dive into your healing journey and begin to see your life in a new light. Visit martineemmons.com and make your appointment today. Do you have traits of ADD or ADHD? It can be hard to meet society's expectations of productivity when traditional approaches to time management and organization don't work for your unique brain. You need customized strategies. In the ADHD Self Mastery Podcast with Bonnie Mengku, you get concise, actionable solutions to help you modify your approach and achieve your goals. Learn more about Bonnie at thrivewithadd.com. Hi, everyone. This is Courtney Cottrell, host of Unapologetically Favorite on Transformation Talk Radio, here to give you some tips on how you can move your life forward if you're feeling stuck by using the GROW model. First, use the letter G to write down the goal that you ultimately want to achieve, whether it's working out one hour a day or working towards a promotion at work. Second, 
using the letter R, think realistically about the roadblock that is currently holding you back from accomplishing your goals. Third, use the letter O. Think about the options or opportunities that will help you in achieving your goal. What can you change in your daily routine that will help you move closer to achieving your goal? Fourth, use the letter W to discover your will and make a true commitment to achieving your goal by writing down a completion date. Once you've reached your goal, celebrate your accomplishment. You are capable of achieving anything you set your mind to. Never give up and keep being unapologetically you. We figured by the time we turned 50, we kind of had life figured out, but we were not prepared for the realities of midlife. Tune into And That's When I Realized, the truth and comedy of midlife with me, Susan Dolce. And me, Leon Dyer, every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You're not alone in these challenges, and sometimes you just gotta laugh. Find us at SusanDolce.com and LeonDyer.com. Welcome back, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. I'm the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. This is Recovery Recharged. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Dr. Pat, and my colleague, Nelson Hadler, and we are talking about California sober. And boy, we are getting into it, aren't we? <laughs> so let's it's talk about it a little bit. Not an easy conversation. <laughs> not an easy it's one. not. Right. Just for our audience, if you've just joined us, California sober means to quit most substances, but to continue using others, meaning let's say you drink too much. You're going to stop drinking. You're going to exclude alcohol from your life, but you're going to use another mood altering substance. You're going to use marijuana. Maybe you're going to use a psychedelic. Maybe you're going to, you know, you know, do do psilocybin. You're going to do something else and stay away from what we call your drug of choice. Is that truly being sober? So there are many different ways to try to get to a point of sobriety. And Nelson, I want you to talk about the difference between California sober and what we know today to be harm reduction. Can you speak to that? Well, I mean, in some ways, they're, they're the same thing. Harm reduction simply means if you can get the person to drink less, you know, count number, a lot of studies have done a number of drinks per day, you know, or if you can get a person to stop doing heroin, you know, um, to me, I don't know if that's harm, you know, that's harm reduction. You know, I think the argument is that substitution doesn't work. You know, that person that smokes pot instead of drinking you know what we were taught way back in the day as drug and alcohol counselors and what we saw for many people is that person would plateau their life would seem better when they were just smoking pot once a day but then let's tune in six months later and they're smoking five times a day or they're back to the alcohol so that's where the substitution doesn't work but i mean i remember a client i had combat intense combat trauma uh, I got him after he had done a bunch of work, and uh, I remember saying to him, you're doing really good. You're working consistently. You're not doing heroin. Your depressive symptoms are down. Um, hell, you're smoking a little pot, but I'll take that right now. And, and then I said, hell, you're not going out doing robbed arboreys to, robbed, armed robberies to recapitulate your trauma. And he goes, no, I stopped that about three months ago. So. <laughs> Well, that was added a little, that, that's a true story, but, but I mean, it was working for him for a while and I would take it, you know, and as he worked through more of the trauma in a year or so, if he wasn't backsliding, we might take a look at 
what functions the pot having now? You know, because for most people, you can't smoke pot instead of drink because Dr. Pat, you said before, what goes on in the brain, you know, for everybody, whether it's pot or cocaine or heroin or porn or whatever process addiction, it lights up the pleasure center. It lights up the nucleus accumbens. And for addicts and alcoholics, I believe genetically predisposed addicts and alcoholics, when you light that up, a whole different reaction happens. Yeah. yeah, you have too many drinks at the bar, you lose your judgment, so you have more. Even though you have a value, you don't drive drunk, you drive drunk and you get a DUI. That happens to everybody. But, you know, when I, when I used to work in the intoxicated driver um, teaching capacity, you know what? Well, it was true. People that got one DUI in their life and never came back, probably they, they didn't seem to be addicts and alcoholics. Guess who were? The people back for the second and sixth time, you know? So, I mean, and so something different happens, you know, to that override of the frontal lobes, you know, it becomes more ingrained, more, more addictive quality, you know, but so something does happen. And for some people, for some people, I know I talk about self-medication. I say, if you self-medicate and we nip it in the bud, like in an adolescent that starts to smoke pot because they're anxious and we get that before they're doing it a year, we probably are going to have a person that doesn't need the rooms of AA or to be defined as having a disease. They do it for the next 20 years. And guess what? We're going to have to treat their anxiety and their addictions. Well, um, you're, you're right. And, and again, you said a lot of things. I know that I work with some of the people in, as a recovery coach in terms of harm reduction, okay? Harm reduction is taking your drug of choice, okay? This is what happens. You take your drug of choice. So if you're an alcoholic, you would take your drug of choice, which would be alcohol, and try to drink less, okay? Right. Substitution would be taking away your drug of choice and substituting it for a different drug entirely. That's substitution okay. Yes, you're right. okay so so that would be a different thing but what you're saying is is extremely prevalent and here's what separates us and here's why you myself and pat agree if you're not abusing a drug and you're not doing it socially then you are classically defined as an addict you are addicted and addiction means that it does show up in the pleasure centers and it does respond to you as an individual person which means it's not about the drug for me it's not about the fact that i maybe loved smoking pot more than i liked alcohol it's not about that it's that anything that considers that is considered a mood altering substance i'm going to do to excess because i have an addictive brain so i'm not just going to settle for one drink i'm going to have 12. I'm not going to settle for one joint. I'm going to have 12. What do you think, Dr. Pat? You do, do you agree? I want to talk about this for a minute. And Nelson, I want you both to, to weigh in. I know we're talking about drugs and alcohol, but I have seen it most prevalently in the fields of gambling and in the fields of, uh, and, and I will say, I'm going to say porn, but I'm going to say porn slash internet. I have not in my years working with a range of people been able to say to somebody that has a gambling addiction maybe somebody has done this 
it's okay for you to go to the casino once in a while. I don't know. I don't believe there's a different kind of synapsis that goes on, but I have never seen anybody I've worked with in that capacity not come out of that casino and wreck their home immediately. I've not seen it. I'm sure there are good people out there that have seen there. I've already gambled the farm. I've already gambled this. I've not gambled in 45 days, but I'm just going to go do a slot machine, right? I personally have not seen it. Nor without therapy have I seen someone that is addicted to porn on the internet. It is very difficult. Now we're talking the whole psychological aspect of this that is not quite the same. But why is it that we can talk about gambling in this way and be very clear, right? If you go into that casino, you are going to wreck your home, your life, your family again, right? Why, do we, why can we do that and say, you are never going to be able to go in that casino again? I have no problem saying that because I do not know any part-time gamblers with gambling addiction. I don't know any. I understand that. But what you're saying, if we can do that, then why can't we, we, we uh, continue to, to, to say those things to people that are using mood-altering substances? Is that what you're saying? And I want to hear Nelson on this because, like us Jersey people, got to speak up. You yeah. Know what, you know what I right? Tell me if this is the missing link. You know what saved me from having a really tough. I can't even use the language here. And um, it was a man, and that's another story. But the thing that he did was while I was picking up cigarette butts in an alley, I was memorizing the promises. So what is it that stops us from taking the hard conversations, but then taking and having possibility conversations? I don't know who wants to weigh in on that one. Well, go ahead. For me, it comes down, you know, the DSM-5 has really kind of diluted it. I mean, I grew up looking at, I cut it down. There's abuse, there's chemical dependency. You're an addict or you're not. If you're self-medicate, you know, now you're not even abuse or chemical dependent. Now you're alcohol use disorder, mild, moderate, severe. There's no mention. Addiction's gone. You know, as far as science, as far as the DSM, yet it exists, you know? Um, So, I mean, I just need to point that out, that that's the world we're in and kind of where it's going. As far as, and you know what? I I would venture to say that there are some people, if they are self-medicating with gambling or porn, may be able to do it once in a while. Maybe we haven't run into it. Because here's my belief. If you are old school and addict, and to me, that probably means you have a genetic predisposition, the substitution, the harm reduction, the stuff in the long run, that's the hardcore stuff. It's not going to work. No, but, and if someone appears to be an addict, has a lot of the behaviors of an addict, but we treat their anxiety, we help them with their trauma, we help them grow as a human being, and then they don't need porn every 12 hours a day, or they don't need 
to drink themselves blind or do heroin? Yeah, but I don't believe that person's an addict. In, in my brain, I exactly. go, they really look like one, but no, you don't exactly. suffer from this disease of addiction. Now, you could create it, you know, from the environment, from the psychological, as I said, if you are a sexual trauma survivor and you medicate that and for 30 years, you don't treat that, you know, and you use chemicals. You know what? If we got you in the first year of it, maybe, maybe we could say, hey, you didn't develop an addiction. But after 10 years of it, yeah. You know, so I mean, I, I, that's the way I break it down in my head. And for the most part, th that's how I work. I love that you're talking about because, you know, look, but we're here because we've decided to discover this because of our own personal stories and because we've seen people die. I mean, I gave you my family history, mm -hmm. but I love that you made that distinction. You know, uh, Dr. Juanita Lovett, who I worked with and who worked with others said, until we can separate chemical addiction and emotional, emotionally triggered addiction, and in her view, they weren't the same. Emotionally triggered addiction, and I'm going to simplify this because we don't have time. But in her words, emotionally triggered addiction means that I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat that whole chocolate cake because when I do, it makes me feel better. Now, what's the difference? The difference between that and uh, chemically is... I am going to do that four times a day. And if I miss it, I will drive 50 miles to get my chocolate cake. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what meeting I miss, what business I miss. And so she was able to describe this is emotional. There is some people that are numbing themselves and right. really are not having the firing going on that crosses you to over to a category which you can't come back. But you're right about that. She would not call people in that stage you talked about, that phase, she would not call them addicts. That right. was her personal philosophy. Right. I don't know if she got in trouble for that. <laughs> no, I mean, the last, the last eight years, especially with all this legalization and medical marijuana and stuff has, has been a real eye opener, you know? It's just... And, and I think a lot, it diluted a lot of treatment. And, but in any case, I mean, I, this is what I always say, you know, classically, we take 16 year old Johnny and we diagnose him, you know, Freud says, you are depressed and he's depressed. He's also drinking a lot. And we, we get a medication. Freud puts him in therapy eight months later. He's not depressed. He reports his moods are fine. His sleep's okay. And he's still drinking. And we say, Johnny, why are you drinking? He says, it's Tuesday. You know, that's an addict alcoholic. You know, a lot of times if you're not, he would have stopped, you know. That's exactly right. You're exactly right. And that's why yeah. when you say if you self-medicate and then you take all the stressors away and you have and you treat the mental health issue, then you know that the substance misuse abates. So there is a distinct difference that happens all yeah. the time. In yeah. fact, there are certain apps now that are playing on that, especially like process addictions, like eating disorders. There are very popular food apps that now talk about the psychology of eating 
eating, which works for a lot of people, and maybe not work for the maybe not work for the binge eater or for the for the anorexic or the, or the bulimic person who is really having a tough time. But certainly, if you remove some of the emotional stressors, many times the addiction follows in a very mm-hmm. good way. That's a good thing. So mm-hmm. I think we're all in agreement here, and and I want you to take some time and I want you to talk about. Are we now really redefining the word sober? And how would you categorize that, Pat and Nelson? I'd like to hear from both of you. And also, um, Nelson, I want you to talk about the chemicals now that we're using in terms of addiction. Let's talk a little bit about that and, and, and how you feel about using chemicals in sobriety and what that question is all about. Nelson, you want to address that? You know, I looked up the simple definition of sober right before the show today, and it said not being affected by mostly alcohol. And I said, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, if the person had two glasses of wine on Friday night, he was affected then. So he's not sober in the moment, but Tuesday morning at work, he's totally sober. But around the rooms of AA, we wouldn't call him a sober person. So I think it has its own meaning when you talk to people, as I say, in the rooms, and it has a bunch of different meanings. So, but I, when I looked at it, it was like not affected. So there's the, there's the all or nothing. I'm never affected by alcohol to, it never affects my life. So if you are California sober, don't drink anymore and smoke pot twice a week. And it doesn't affect your life, your family, your relationships, your your business, you know, it's all fine. You know, it's okay. Um, are you sober? And as far as it's not affecting your life, uh, right? You know, it's 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 semantics. I think it's semantics. And I think it's you know, I think that the downfall is for the person that is, <laughs> you know, hardcore addict. You know, these are all like great little like, oh yeah, I'd love that. You know, and you you can't. Um, so, and as far as other drugs, we've evolved. I mean, when we first introduced psychotropic medication, non-mood altering, mood stabilizing medication, many, many people said, you're not sober, you're taking pills and they affect your mood. I mean, what was it? Alina Lodge in New Jersey. I mean, um, I think Geraldine needed to die before Geraldine Delaney ran it, before they accepted psychotropic medication. Now, nobody says you can't be on psychotropic. Psychotropic medication saves addicts and alcoholics lives, you know. Then came, now comes along medically assisted treatment, you know, salvoxone, you know. Um, and a lot of people, and you still hear people reporting, and I hear from AA meetings, you can't be taking that stuff in sober because it yeah, is. Exactly. You know, yeah. And it, 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 it can ruin people's lives, but used right, it can help some people, you know? Yeah. So we have to look at it, you know, that way. What you do you know, think, Nelson, Dr. Pat? Well, I want to ask Nelson this question because, you know, look, I, I work with a wide range of people and I am probably one of these people. I work with a lot of women, let's just say real serious chronic pain, really serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, I don't want to go into the, the, uh, 14,000 diseases that cause chronic pain, because there really are that many now. And when their only level of peace is hydrocodone, I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. I cannot take that person 
and put them into the Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee scandal of 2,000 milligrams a day people. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay. a little bit different like this. And, you know, are you being supervised? Are you going after additional prescriptions? Is your doctor monitoring this? Are you taking things? And so this is a really problem for people because they give up hope. They're like, I have 30 years in the program, but I must take this pill. And my sponsor monitors me and my doctor and my nurse and my husband will kill me. Uh, The the whole range. And yet, here's what we want to do. You have to reset your date. Yeah, I don't believe that either. You're right. No, I don't believe that. that that's spot. ridiculous. Right. There's when youth did we and become abuse. the watchdog? Exactly. Of that. And, exactly. And, and when you start to add these little rules and re- regulations up that are really not in any of our hula hoops, by the way, because one of your sponsees happens to be uber honest with you, and you make them feel bad and shamed. Mm-hmm. When do we become that person? And I, I think there are some... If we stay true to being of service to those people that are suffering, see, it's that simple, isn't it? Being of service to people that are suffering. Isn't that what we say? I don't know. Yes, that's what I it say. is. It's 12 steps. Yeah. It's the giving yeah. back step. If that's Absolutely. what we're doing, then somebody did ma- not make us the God of what we should do or how we should mm-hmm. talk about somebody's journey. And this to me is where we all need to take an introspective look and a more global look. And Nelson, I think you said it. Our goal is to help people where I think a lot of this fails. And I'll tell you, if I had Bill Wilson sitting here and I was sitting with him when he went to high watch, right. With Marty high watch in Connecticut, right. Which he went to. So you could feel the spirituality with the night. And Sister Francis, and by the way, that is where the prayer of St. Francis came from, came from Sister Francis, right, who was a descendant of Emma Curtis Hopkins. So let's Mm. just be really clear about that little lie. But here's the deal. He was offered that center. And I've often wondered what would have happened if he would have picked up the baton of both AA and treatment. Now, Marty Mann went went down the road and did that. But I often wonder what would have happened? What would happen today if we could look at a more expansive way to save lives? Those are my questions for now. And I'm sorry, I don't have a lot of answers for you two, but I'd like to know what you two think. Well, I think I think the fact that we're asking those questions is a really good thing. <laughs> okay. I really, really do. And and look, I, I when I came to you three years ago and I said to you, I want to do this show called Recovery Recharged, I didn't say I want to do sober recharged. I said recovery. Because recovery is distinctively different for me and the meaning of this show than just being sober, not picking up a drink or a drug or not indulging in a mood-altering substance or process addiction. So being in recovery to most people that are sober is a vastly different emotional and mental situation. Okay, that's the way it is for me. And I know, Pat, that's the way it is for you. We live our lives in a recovery 
um, uh, guideline under a recovery star, and that really, really works for us. And for me personally, I can't pick up a mood-altering substance, and I can't do some process addictions because I will most definitely do it to excess. I have clients that will turn around and say to me, I haven't picked up a drink in 10 years, but I occasionally smoke pot. And I will say to them, how are you feeling about that? And if they say it's not interfering with their life, I will say, congratulations. As far as I'm concerned, you're doing a great job. And that's how it goes. It is yeah. really not one size fits all. And, and Nelson, I want you to, to comment on that and let us know how you want to leave us. We've got about three minutes left. And how what do we message? find out more about you? Exactly. How do we find yeah. out more about you and what message do you want to leave us? My website's nelsonlhadler.com and um, that's how you can, you can find out all my information. I kind of want to summarize it this way. You know, for someone who suffers from genetically predisposed, you're an addict alcoholic, and we dilute all this stuff, and we're wishy-washy about it, right. and we don't push somewhat, because, hey, I dealt with a lot of mandated people. You know what? We expose them to it. We get them there. You know how many people have talked to me three years later and go, I, I lied. I only went through a few of those meetings. I didn't get into it. Now, I go all the time. Thank you. So if we don't push them hard enough... And we let all this other, oh, cycle babble, you abuse this. You know, there's that side which says, no, they need to be pushed. They need, you know, and here's the other side. For your hardcore, your addicted, old-fashioned, genetic predisposed, we need to treat the psychological. Because a lot of these people are addicts and they're going to use because it's Tuesday. And they have a history of trauma. They need to exercise their demons or they're just going to keep coming back to it. I mean, that's what I say to all my addicts that I believe are addicts who are trauma survivors and they come out of rehab. What do you think about therapy? I say, I don't care if it's with me. I'm not filling my practice, but you need to be in therapy for the rest of your life because you're a trauma survivor. And right now you can tell me the most horrible things make me want to vomit. And you just say it like, oh, you know, and it's a sunny day out. And then someday you're going to be triggered and you're going to relapse. So we, we need to look at both sides of the cloud. All the time. Pat, yeah. you want to take us out? Um, all I want to say is, look, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank both of you for being here. And we have to have more conversations like this because what we're doing, um, I've, I got to tell you, I get a lot of pushback for even being on a show like this, but we're going to have a recovery network, an entire network. Because if we're not having conversations and bringing people to the forefront of all ages, you know, what, what are the teens going through now? Is the, is the television series Euphoria the way of young people now? See, if we're not talking about this without judgment, we're not going to be able to make progress. And I really honor your honesty for this. And Ellen, you know, you're chutzpah, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Ellen I mean, has chutzpah. That's why we're here. So I just want to thank you both. Thanks very much. Recovery Recharged. Go to pushybroadfromthebronx.com. I'm still doing 30-minute free sessions. We'll talk about anything you need. Thanks so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Recovery Recharged with Certified Life and Recovery Coach Ellen Stewart. Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Don't miss your next opportunity to let me help you recharge your recovery let go of your secrets and change the way you think, feel, and act right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com.